All right, well, good evening, everybody, and uh, good evening, particularly those who are watching on Zoom tonight. What I'm going to share with you tonight has to do with some of the most terrible times that are going to come upon this earth, and the scripture tells us so very clearly about that. But obviously, in the amount of time we have allotted, we're not able to go through every single verse. So, uh, what I'm doing is touching the highlights so that you can put the story together and uh, there's notes if you haven't yet received them and uh, this set of notes that I gave out the other night covers uh, Sunday night and also tonight as well. And then uh, for the second session there'll be another set of notes on the second coming. Let me pray and then we'll open God's precious word. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have of gathering together, some here in this building, some at home, to be able to open your precious word. We thank you, our Father, that you have chosen to reveal to us those things that are yet to come. And we thank you because that shows us very clearly that you are Almighty God. So many times in the past you have revealed things prophetically, they've come to pass, We have seen the accuracy of the things that you have said and then the things that have happened. And now, our Father, we look at these things that are yet to come and we know that they will be fulfilled exactly according to your word. So to you we give all the glory. Uh, We ask that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher tonight, wherever we are, and we pray that you will imprint upon our hearts and upon our minds those things that you would want us to take from this message. For we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, there are many Bible passages uh, that teach there's a time of unprecedented turmoil that's coming to this whole world. In Matthew 24, it was Jesus who said that a time will come that will commence with a series of events which he described as birth pains and tribulation. And those things will then escalate to a point of unparalleled difficulty involving, and these are Jesus' words, great tribulation, such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. So this is certainly going to be a very unique period of time, but it's certainly going to be very turbulent and very distressful. We refer to this turbulent time that is coming as the tribulation period, and uh, Even though I shared this with you the other night, we'll look at it again tonight. John? Okay. Right. Uh, So we refer to this time as the tribulation and once again I'll show you this definition. The tribulation is an unprecedented seven year period of uh, time upon the earth beginning with the signing of a covenant with Israel in which God pours out his wrath and judgment on unbelieving Gentiles and through trials prepares Israel for her Messiah. Now in part one we detailed the birth pains which will occur in the first half of the, this period, including these things here. Uh, there are seven seal judgments followed by seven trumpet judgments. And uh, I won't be going into all of those uh, particular judgments again, 
But at the same time as these judgments were occurring, we saw 144,000 Jewish witnesses will be raised up and sealed as servants of God to share the good news of Messiah. And Israel as a nation will be miraculously saved by God from a mass invasion by Russia and the Muslim states to the north. At the same time and leading to the midpoint of the tribulation, there will be two outspoken witnesses in Jerusalem who will denounce the open and unfettered sin of that day. And through all of these things happening in Israel, of course, many Jews will be converted. As we come to the second message, three and a half years of this seven-year period of tribulation has now passed. So today we're going to begin at the midpoint and we're going to follow through uh, those things at the midpoint and in the last three and a half years. If you'd like to open your Bible, we're going to commence with Revelation chapter 12 and I'm going to look at various verses from Revelation 12. Now, through this chapter, we are given insight into significant things happening in the spiritual realm. So I want you to notice this. Revelation 12, we're talking about things happening in the spiritual realm. In the next chapter when we come to it, Revelation 13, we will see how these exact same things play out on earth. So Revelation 12, first of all, and verse 7. And this tells us that war now breaks out in heaven and this is at the midpoint of the tribulation. It says, Michael and his angels fight against the dragon or Satan and his angels and there is no longer any place for them in heaven. So come down to verse 9. Verse 9 says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now this marks the start of a new and increasingly evil phase in the events on earth. But these things only happen with God's permission and as we so often uh, find in the Revelation, we are immediately uh, comforted by strong words of encouragement and a rallying cry from heaven. So now in verse 10 we read these words. Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. And while the heavens are to rejoice with this proclamation of victory, those on earth are about to feel the full fury of Satan unleashed upon them. So in the second part of verse 12. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. Now when the dragon saw that he'd been cast to the earth he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. 
Now, the woman here, the one who gave birth to the male child, refers to the Jews or to Israel, if you like, through whom Christ was born. And Satan himself now begins to directly persecute them. As this persecution intensifies, many in the land of Israel, Israel, who by this time have placed their faith in Messiah, will escape to a place in the wilderness, a place designated by God where they are protected through the second half of the tribulation. Revelation 12 and verse 6 says this, Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. And uh, you're to notice the exact number of days, that's three and a half years. Much of the uh, prophetic utterances of Revelation talk about this three and a half year period, 1,260 days, 42 months. You'll see it in slightly different designations, but of course all meaning the same thing. So the woman fled into the wilderness. Again in verse 14, the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. There's the three and a half years again from the presence of the serpent. So notice that we're told the exact amount of time that this protection will last. It's exactly three and a half years. So that group, those who've placed their their trust in Messiah, will be taken out of Israel and they will be protected for the remainder of the tribulation. Now remember, we're talking about spiritual things. We're talking about the woman. We're talking about uh, flying into the, the wilderness. So we're still talking spiritually on this level at this stage. Now, while this miraculous intervention by God keeps those uh, safe who who flee, not all faithful Jews are going to make it to that place. And so the revelation continues down in verse 17. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and he went out to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So the remaining Jews, and particularly those who have placed their faith in Messiah in Israel, and it would seem even perhaps throughout the world, are now going to be pursued relentlessly by Satan. So that's the spiritual explanation and a behind-the-scenes look of what's going on as we come into chapter 13, which now tells us what's going to happen actually on the earth on a human level. As Satan's spiritual influence increases on earth, the world will witness the dramatic political rise of the Antichrist to a place of dominance as the ruler of the world. John, record again.
Well, I'm going to leave that for, for John to uh, work out as we continue. Uh, so there's going to be this one called the Antichrist who's going to rise to a place of political dominance as the ruler of the world. As I said to you last night, there's not going to be several rulers of the world, there's going to be one. This particular one who is going to come out of the time of the tribulation and who is going to rise to authority. Revelation 13 begins by describing him as, and these are the words, a beast rising out of the sea, if you like the sea of nations because that's what it represents, having seven heads and ten horns and on his horns ten crowns and on his head a blasphemous name. Now you'll notice there's a lot of of, uh, metaphorical language. uh, Ten horns, what does that mean? Well, ten horns had to do with authority. In this case we're talking about uh, he's, he's the head over ten nations and ten crowns are on his head because he's controlling all of those nations. In the first half of the tribulation, this man has already become the leader over these nations and his character and his behaviour reflects uh, that of previous despotic rulers. We think of some of the, some of the really cruel rulers that came, uh, have come throughout history. Well, he's like that but he's referred to as a beast and this guy has one notable addition over all the other ones who came before him in history. This man is totally sold out to Satan. So Revelation 13 and verse 2 says this, And the dragon gave him his power, his throne and great authority. So with Satan as his spiritual head, he is filled with evil to its fullest degree. And spiritual deception of the whole world becomes complete when this man is physically restored and the words are, uh, he's been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed. Now we don't know exactly what that means. Some speculate it may mean that somebody actually tries to assassinate him and he recovers from that. But don't miss the, the spiritual counterfeit that's being developed here. Just as our God, the true God, the living God, raised Christ from the dead, the counterfeit God, Satan, somehow raises the Antichrist or if you like the substitute Christ because that's another part of the meaning of Antichrist in the place of Christ from his deathbed. And the godless world of that time is completely drawn into this deception. John writes from verse 3, And all the world marvelled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast and they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Now we note here again that even with his political successes, with his authority from Satan and his blatant anti-God pronouncements, God's authority is greater and he set a limit and the limit of this godless reign is three and a half years. Verse 7 continues, It was granted to him to make war with the saints 
and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue and nation. This all takes place now around the midpoint of the tribulation period. So in the first part of the tribulation period, uh, we've got the rise of Antichrist, we've got the wars and rumours of wars, we've got the famine, we've got people starving, we've got terrible things happening in nature and now at the midpoint of the tribulation, Satan is kicked out of heaven, he comes down to earth and he now energises this man, the Antichrist, to become the one world leader. Verse 7, said it, it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. So this is going to be, from this point on, a very hard time for anybody who accepts Christ. Uh, and remember last night we saw these are the ones who came out of the Great Tribulation, the scripture says. Well, there's no need for him to hide his ambition anymore. And so now Antichrist reveals to all the world who he is, but he's not just a political leader with a particularly with a political role, but he's one also with a deeply spiritual role. So Revelation 13 and verse 8 forewarns us: All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So, around this point in time, though we don't know exact chronology, uh, now he's going to start to do things. One of the things he wants to do is to get rid of these two painful people, these two witnesses in Jerusalem who keep on speaking about his sin and God's judgment and how God is against what this Antichrist man is doing. So, he's going to, he's going to get rid of them they conclude their testimony and now they're killed by the Antichrist. These men whose miraculous powers are reminiscent of Elijah and Moses, some say it will be Elijah and Moses. Others say these are ones that just had the same spirit as Elijah and Moses. But they will denounce both the rampant sin of that day and the evil that will be emerging through satanic worship. And while the people of earth rejoice when these two men are killed, after three and a half days they will be resurrected and they will be raptured to heaven and people will actually see them go up to heaven. Also about this time, the Antichrist is going to break the seven-year covenant, the seven-year treaty he had made with Israel. Now remember, he's made a treaty with them, he's allowed them to worship in their temple and now he comes along and he, he breaks that time uh, of uh, treaty, he terminates their worship in the temple and Paul tells us exactly what happens next. He says this man of sin, this is Second Thessalonians 2 verses 3 and 4, this man of sin, this son of perdition, opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he, that's this man, this is Antichrist, he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. So that's his claim. 
that he is God upon the earth. So he will claim the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem as his own, as his place of worship. And he will demand that all the world acknowledges him as God. Now let's just unwind a little bit because apostate religion will already have been on the rise in the first half of the tribulation period and according to Revelation 17, this religious system and its leader are likened to another woman, this time an unfaithful woman, described as a great harlot actually because of her unfaithfulness to the true God. In verse 5, In Revelation 17, she's called the mother of harlots, suggesting a grouping of false religious faiths whom she also encourages to join her blasphemy. So this is an institution. It's going to be evil. It's referred to as the second beast. There's a growing close connection between this false religion and the Antichrist as the woman is actually depicted as riding on the back of the beast, the first beast. So this means that uh, he's in complete league with the Antichrist and completely dependent upon him, whoever this person is leading this false religious grouping. As the evil of that day increases, this false religious system shall be responsible for the persecution and the death of many saints and martyrs. It says that she is responsible because she's drunk with their blood, suggesting she seeks their death with an insatiable thirst. That's chapter 17 and verse 6 there. So coming back to chapter 13, the whole world will now openly worship Satan and the Antichrist. The spiritual leader who heads the apostate religious system, we don't know exactly who this is. But whoever this is, is somebody who has big authority, has a great number of people who's prepared to follow and it's somebody who has a a religious standing in the community and this person promotes this satanic worship without mercy. He is now identified as the false prophet. And Revelation 13, 16 to 18 tells us He causes all, he causes every single person, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads so that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. His number is 666. So there are going to be enormous spiritual and practical and financial pressures on people all over the world to worship Satan and his false Messiah and to conform to the teaching of the false prophet. Together, if you stop and think, the real God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. This counterfeit, now we've got the Antichrist, and uh, sorry, we've got Satan, the Antichrist, and now the false prophet. And they're meant to be the counterfeit. Some have termed them the unholy trinity. 
Now as part of this new worship, a statue, this is an idol with the ability to speak, is set up in the temple in Jerusalem. Remember the temple's been rebuilt, it was dedicated to God and now this statue is going to be set up in the temple. And this statue somehow is able to talk. Now undoubtedly the voice that is heard from this statue is demonic in some way as people continue to be deceived. It is this monstrosity that is referred to as the abomination of desolation which signals the start of the time now of intense persecution for the people of Israel. Jesus warned of this time directly referring to Daniel's prophecies in both Daniel 9.7 and 11.31 concerning such an abomination. This is what Jesus had to say in Matthew 24, 15 to 22. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is on the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, Jesus said, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So what a desperate and urgent warning (coughs) that Jesus left with his disciples for a time at least 2,000 years down the track. When you see this in the temple, when this happens, flee immediately because all hell is about to break loose. So this is a desperate warning And uh, as a measure of how terrible these times will be, God has shortened these days. It doesn't mean to say there's now 23 hours in a day. Shorten these days simply means he's confined it to three and a half years. He's shortened these days. He's limited them. Otherwise, no one would be able to stand it. It's going to be so bad. This warning to flee when they see this wicked abomination describes the same event that John saw in Revelation 12. We read that just before with believing Israel fleeing into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God. We read that in chapter 12 for three and a half years. So where are they to go? Where where are they going to go? Well, it's generally believed that the wilderness to which they are to flee is located in the biblical uh, land of Edom which is part of modern-day Jordan. It's just southeast of the Dead Sea. Isaiah 63 verses 1 to 6 suggests probably the biblical town of Bosra as the area. And since this refuge is a place prepared by God, we're told, it may well include the naturally fortified mountains area around Petra, which is about 64 kilometres Uh, from the location of the old city of Bosra. So when we take tours to Israel, 
we go to Petra and we have a look and we can see there's the making of a city. It's an ancient city. It was a city before Christ but there's the making of a city where people could go and live and it's naturally fortified all the way around with with mountains. Perhaps that's where God will take these people. Those who are fortunate enough to escape will be kept safe by God for the remainder of the tribulation period now. But life for the rest of the Jews during the second half of the tribulation is going to be a little short of horrific, unfortunately. Zechariah 13 verses 8 and 9 give us a somewhat pessimistic outlook of what's going to take place. This is what the prophet writes. And it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people and each one will say, the Lord is my God. So all hell is starting to break loose and although the Antichrist is going to rule for the remainder of the great tribulation, remember that God has not left himself without witness to this totally depraved, wicked world. I want to remind you first of all there uh, there are 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Folks, these are not Jehovah's Witnesses. It's very clear in the scripture these are Jewish witnesses and it's very clear it's in the last day and it's very clear that they are going to be testifying to Yeshua as the Messiah and as God incarnate. So we need to get that very clear. They were sealed and sent out to serve the Lord in the first half of the tribulation. So as we now get into chapter 14 of the Revelation, John is given a vision of these same ones seemingly now in heaven, perhaps after their committed witness for Christ has concluded. We don't know exactly when they go to be there, but John sees them there. In the same vision, John sees them with the Lord on Mount Zion. So this scene looks ahead to the time when these ones who were not defiled by the spiritual harlotry of that day will stand on the earth with Christ at his second coming. Now this 144,000 may well have been martyred. Some teachers say no, they're sealed and God is going to keep them right through the tribulation period. He's going to keep them safe. We don't know exactly, but we do know this. In Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7, we're told of an angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue and people, saying with a loud voice. So this is something that everybody's going to hear about. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. So God does not leave himself without witness and man will never be able to say at that time we never knew. 
They'll never be able to say that. So we're now fully coming into the second half of the tribulation when we see an escalation in the severity of God's judgments. During the first three and a half years of the tribulation, the judgments were more natural in in character. For example, we talked about wars and famine and earthquakes and things like that. But during this last half, the judgments seem much more supernatural, more devastating. And specifically, they will be targeted at those who follow the Antichrist. Now we're up to Revelation chapter 16 and this details what happens with the pouring out of seven bowl judgments. So this is the third lot of seven. We had the seven seals and then we had the seven trumpets and now we've got the seven bowl judgments. The first bowl judgment you see up there produces terrible sores on the followers of Antichrist who have that mark and worship the image of the beast. And then the second bowl judgment causes the seas to turn to blood, killing all the sea creatures. The third bowl judgment is poured out on the fresh water in the rivers and springs and they too are turned to blood. This is followed by the fourth bowl judgment as scorching heat from the sun causes intense suffering. Now these judgments come in quick succession, one after the other, and people know that they come from God, but they continue to blaspheme against him and they refuse to repent, even though he's making it so hard for them and they know it's coming from him, they're still not going to turn away from their sin. And this is what Revelation 16, 9 says. And men were scorched with great heat and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues and they did not repent and give him glory. The very next verse tells us that with the pouring out of the fifth bowl on the beast's very seat of of judgment here, uh, of seat of government I mean, supernatural darkness covers his entire kingdom and it says the people gnaw at their tongue They chew their tongue with pain. And verse 11 says, And yet they still continue to blaspheme and refuse to turn from their evil ways. The judgment of God is true. The judgment is upon those who are deserving in this case. As horrible as it is, remember we are not God. It's not for us to to judge what's right or what's wrong. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of Almighty God and here God is showing that in all its fullness. This is coming upon this earth to judge the sin and the wickedness that exists. With the outpouring of the sixth bowl judgment, that was in verse 12, the stage is now being set for the dramatic and epic close of this tumultuous period and then the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So with this judgment, the great Euphrates River is dried up to make way for huge armies, it says, coming from the east. Now if you go to the Euphrates River and you go directly east, you know where you'll end up? In China. There's going to be huge armies, it says, coming from the east. Perhaps that's from China. China. 
And why do they come towards Israel? Because they're summoned to come. In this part of the Revelation, John saw three unclean spirits that looked like frogs to him. They were coming out from Satan, from the Antichrist and the false prophets and they're calling all the rulers of the world to gather for battle. Revelation 16, 14 to 16 tells us this, they are the spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle and listen to these words of that great day of God Almighty. So these are demonic forces that are gathering them but behind the scenes it's God who wants them to be there. They're coming there so God can deal with them. This is the chilling indication that God has brought them for his purposes and his will be the victory. There's another thing to note uh, right here. There's another call from the Lord Jesus right in the midst of this, this terrible prophecy to encourage believers who may be witnessing these things not to lose their nerve. Listen to what it says. Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And then the appointed place is announced. And they gather them together to the place called in Hebrew, Hamagido. Now when that's transliterated uh, into eventually into English, it becomes Armageddon. But the original words say that it's called in the Hebrew language Hamagido or the Mount of Megiddo. Now what is Megiddo? Megiddo is a, 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 a town that was on the side of a mountain range and uh, this is Hamagido, the mount where Megiddo is. And out from there you have this great valley, one of the biggest valleys you will ever see honestly, anywhere in the world. And uh, you'll see this coming up in just a minute. It's up in northern Israel. It tells us the key location. This huge valley, you can see across the valley here. Uh, I took this photograph from up uh, uh, near uh, Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is up here, Megiddo is down here. Uh, this huge valley goes to kilometres. And uh, just for a point of interest, up here you'll see there's runways. There's actually three in a diamond shape and uh, that's where the Israeli Air Force have their big base and they can have three planes taking off at the same time uh, as they, uh, they need to. But look at this huge valley. This is a valley where there have been battles all through the history of, of mankind, through the history of the Jews. Big battles took place here. And it tells us that these people are being brought together, the place called in the Hebrew tongue, Hamagido. So we know they're going to be there. The series of battles that will take place from this place and other areas of Israel are referred to as the Battle of Armageddon, but actually it will be a series of battles. But this gathering together is what it's all going to be about. This is the Jezreel Valley. 
It also has another name from the Greeks. It's called the Valley of Esdraelon. But the Jezreel Valley, if you want to have a look at that uh, in your, in your, your uh, atlas, it's a, a, a great a big area as you can see also on the map up there. As I draw this message to a close, we see there's one more bold judgment that's poured out and this is now with the greatest earthquake, it would seem, in all of man's history. There are going to be hailstones and it tells us how heavy these hailstones will be. They will be about 45 kilograms in weight. That's what it translates to in kilograms. Huge, unprecedented, never to be seen before or again after this. And uh, we, we read about this in Revelation 16. So the closing stages of the tribulation have now arrived and uh, we've got these armies all gathering together. Uh, we've got uh, the Lord with a, a great earthquake and these hailstones coming down. We know that this is building to a crescendo as the great armies of the world now mass together at Armageddon. Our Lord Jesus Christ is about to be revealed in his second coming with great power and glory. And we're going to talk about that in the second message tonight. Now, why has God told us these things? This is what we need to be able to think about. Well, in my understanding, he's told us these things to encourage and to challenge us in the knowledge that God truly knows the end. He doesn't just know the end, he knows every detail of the end. He knows how long these things will last. He knows where they will take place because he's almighty God. And as we have seen in the prophecies of history that have already been fulfilled, God's word is always fulfilled exactly. So that's what's going to take place here. He wants us to know he knows the end right from the beginning. Secondly, he wants to warn us to be watching and ready for Christ's imminent return for his people before these days come. We don't know when this is going to come. Uh, We do know that there are things happening in our world today that seem to be drawing us closer and closer to everybody somehow working together and uh, somehow uh, everybody needing to uh, work through uh, these these ideas of of governments joining and and uh, you know I, I won't go into all of the details but uh, right at the moment the United Nations is simply talking about bringing people together so we can deal with poverty so we can deal with money laundering so we can deal with with uh, things that are happening in our world let's work together that's under the auspices of the United Nations and sovereign nations but it won't take very much to move from there to another step of this would work even better if there was only one government. So you can see how the mindset is working in this direction. Just as, because I've got a touch of time, just to give you a little uh, bit of information uh, on the the side. Uh, We we hear of socialists and uh, Antonio Guterres, who is the Secretary General of the United Nations uh, was for a long time uh, the president of the World Socialist Organization. In 1960, 
they wrote into their manifesto that one of the aims of the world socialist movement is to move the world to a one world government. That was in the 1960s. And uh, you can read that for yourself if you do like I did and do your research and look up the original papers. That's exactly what they said. I'm not making that up. This is not some Christian story to fit in with what we're talking about. This is real life, what's happening in our world today. So, these are the things that we have. Now, what we end up with as we look at this and as we consider this, now is the day of salvation. And we need to be asking ourselves, do I know the Lord Jesus Christ as my own and personal saviour? Because the only way of escape from these things, the only way of knowing God as the one who is our saviour, is our redeemer, is our Lord, as the one who would save us from this time of wrath to come upon the earth, the only way is by committing our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way to be saved. We repent of our sin, we turn our hearts to the Lord and we say, Lord Jesus, I I trust in you, I believe in you, I want to follow you. I believe you are the Messiah. So this same Lord Jesus, whom Christians say is the Messiah, is coming again. And we'll talk about this in the second hour. Let me pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for our time together tonight when we've been able to just hit some of the, well, let's call them high points of what's going to happen in the Revelation. We know, Lord, a time is coming when this world is going to be judged but we also know that it's all going to come to an end after seven years of tribulation. So we thank you, Lord, for your plan. We thank you for revealing it to us and now help us to take in and understand and hold these things to ourselves. And now, Lord, as we go to have a break, thank you. In Jesus' name, Amen.